0: Hello, and welcome back to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, bringing you another episode filled with insights, innovation, and inspiration. Before we dive into today's exciting episode, a quick reminder to check us out at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Don't forget, you can also connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram to keep the conversation going. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by Speroni, the champions in precision tooling whose support makes this show possible. Also, a big shout out to our partner, Shopfloor Coffee, because what's a good co- discussion without great coffee? Now, into the heart of today's episode, we're thrilled to have a very, very special guest with us, Suzanne Moriga, a powerhouse in the world of finance and a guiding light for entrepreneurs aiming for the stars. Suzanne is not just any CPA, she's a fractional CFO and a maestro in high net worth strategies for seven and eight figure entrepreneurs, making magic with the Profit First system. Leading the Mariga group, recognized by none other than Goldman Sachs, 10,000 small businesses and honored as the 2021 Profit First Professional Firm of the Year, Suzanne is a force to be reckoned with. Her accolades don't stop there. She's also the recipient of the 2011 Houston Minority Supplier Development E10 Award. But wait, there's more. Suzanne's insights have been featured in the Houston Business Journal, MBE Magazine, and numerous other media outlets. She's also the author of Kirkus Reviewed and Publishers Weekly Editor's Pick, Profit First for Minority Business Entrepreneur. Enterprises, easy for me to say, geez, which was a collaboration with Mike Michalowicz. And if that's not enough, she's also the host of the Profit Talk podcast. Her journey is as impressive as her credentials. Before founding the Mariga Group, Suzanne honed her skills at Arthur Anderson LLP and KPMG, one of the big four firms. Her unique blend of industry knowledge and personal experience in growing a small business enables her to craft bespoke, profit-first business plans that spell success and financial stability for her clients. As a certified profit-first professional at the mastery level, Suzanne's passion is helping entrepreneurs maximize profits, grow their businesses, and save dollars through savvy tax strategies. So buckle up, listeners, as we embark on a journey filled with financial wisdom and entrepreneurial insights. Connect with Suzanne at suzannemariga.com and let's get this conversation started. Stay tuned and let's learn how to make our businesses not just survive, but thrive. This episode is brought to you by Speroni. Revolutionize your shop floor with Spironi, where cutting-edge technology meets craftsmanship. Elevate precision, amplify productivity. Spironi, experience, tradition, the future. Hello, Susan. Welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. How are you doing?
1: i'm doing great thanks for having me on the show
0: absolutely absolutely i'm so happy that uh, your firm reached out i think this is a great connection not only for me personally uh, but for our listeners and viewers if they're watching us on on youtube um so i'm really excited to have you here today you're you're a big deal um and i love having big deals on the show so thank you uh suzanne I want to kick it off. Tell us your story. How did you get from where you were in your life to where you are today?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in the world of accounting. Um, is what I tell everybody. My dad was a CPA. He had a firm for over 30 years and um, he actually hired me when I was 14 to work in his firm. Um, free babysitting, right? <laughs> um <laughs> he hired me as a bookkeeper. And so, um, you know, he taught me how to do bookkeeping. He taught me how to do taxes. Um, and, and it was interesting because when I went to college, you know, it it just accounting came easy. You know, I literally could, you know, it was like everybody was learning stuff and I was just getting a review and, um, you know, it it, it ended up being a great career and going to Anderson, which at the time was the number one firm in the country. And, um, and, um, later on, you know, I ended up starting my own practice and um, we ended up doing extremely great. We ended up being a Goldman Sachs 10,000, getting some of the largest government um, contracts in the country. And um, we ended up actually selling that practice um, a couple of years ago. And um, yes, and it allowed me to really go out and do the work in the world that I really have a passion for, which is really working more in a boutique fashion with businesses that are scaling and growing. And implementing something called the profit first method and um jim i'm not sure the audience knows about profit first or not but give um, us
0: give us some uh background on profit first because i've got some questions but this will set set, uh the the groundwork for it
1: yeah profit first was a game changer it was a game changer for my business it's been a game changer for many of my my clients that that have worked with me and um what it is it's a it's a literally a cash management methodology that was created by author Mike McCallowitz. And what we do is we take our profit first, literally take our profit first. And, you know, I think one of the things that we as business owners run into is we love what we do, right? We love the world of accounting. We love making those widgets, right? And, and you know, the world just needs one more widget, Right. And the reality is we love what we do so much. It's our natural gift in many cases is that we would make it for free, right? We yeah. would do our work for free because just producing that widget just gives us joy, right? Absolutely. And, and the reality is, you know, unfortunately that happens, right? We, we hear about the small business administration telling us that half a business is closed within three years of starting. And at the end of 10 years, you know, like, less than twenty percent are left standing. Yeah. And and what happens is they run out of cash, right? They love what they do so much that they don't have anything to show for it. And I, I can't tell you, Jim, how many times I've met entrepreneurs and they pay themselves a hundred thousand dollars a year and they keep paying themselves a hundred thousand dollars a year ten years later and they never progress. And what Profit First does is, you know, we're gonna reward you based upon your growth. And so what that means is, you know, you're gonna have a bank account where all your money is collected. And then twice a month, we're going to allocate to different bank accounts based on that purpose. So one of the first bank accounts that we're going to allocate to is a bank account called profit. I'm literally going to allocate a percentage of your revenue straight to profit. So you're going to be profitable day one, (laughs) like literally day one, no matter what happened in the past, you're going to be profitable. Um, We're also going to allocate to owner's pay, right? Because a lot of times I ask my my clients, like, who's your MVP? Who's your most valued player? Who's the most pr- important person on your team that if they walked off tomorrow, your business wouldn't be unable to run? And they always say, oh, it's Mike, it's Susie, it's Carl, <laughs> right? But they never say it's themselves, right? But right. I'll tell you, Jim, the day you walk off this show, there is no more show, right? <laughs> there is no more show. You are the MVP. Right. And, and for you guys who are listening out there as entrepreneurs, you are the MVP. You are the lifeblood of your company. And so you need to be bringing home a paycheck that commen- commensurates the work that you're doing in the world. And yeah. so we're going to allocate a percentage of that revenue to owner's pay. So it's going to go up as your business continues to succeed. Now, the next account that we're going to allocate to is an account called, tax, because there's no point in being successful. And then at the end of the year, wondering how am I going to pay for last year's taxes for this year's mm-hmm. money, right? We're not going to be financing our IRS debt. And so what's going to happen is we're going to allocate to the tax accounts Every single month also, we're going to allocate a percentage of our revenue to taxes. So we're not worried about what's going to happen in terms of how we're going to pay our taxes. You know, taxes are a part of success, right? Right. If you, if you buy that Bugatti, you have that obligation, right? (laughs) You you made the money. So that let's, we're going to use some sound tax strategy, but the reality is you're going to, you're going to have a tax burden. So let's go ahead and at least prepare for it. Right. And if we don't use all the money, you just get another bonus at the end of the year. Yeah, And that last bank account that we're going to create is something called an operating expense account or OPEX account. And what that means is after I funded my profit, after I funded my owner's pay, after I funded my tax account, right, that's all that I have left is my operating expense. And so what I'm doing here now is I'm working with something called Pareto Principle, meaning that. The more I have of something, the more I'm gonna use of it, right? right? Yeah. Uh, I think of the example of going to that buffet, right? We've all been there, you know, shamefully into <laughs> that golden corral, walked in and and I, I don't know about you, Jim, but I've never walked out of there proud, right? Even I'm diet eating, never walk out proud, right? And, and it's the almost a is,
0: goal to not walk out proud, right? I mean, you don't go there thinking, when I leave here, I want to be proud of myself. You walk out, of, you walk in there saying, I am going to do things to my body that normally I don't do, right?
1: Oh, definitely. You know, you you definitely don't walk out with just a salad. Um, And and the problem with Golden Corral is they have tons of plates, right? They have plates on the, each side. They've got it in the middle. You can, you can literally just turn around. There's a plate there. You know, you've got a salad buffet. You've got main course. You've got a dessert. And a million options. And so what happens is you eat more, right? You eat more because that's yeah. what's available. Versus let's say you and I, we're going to go an order of dinner, right? We're going to go networking. We're going to have social pressure. The plates are going to be five inches wide, right? We're going to eat a lot differently, right? We're yeah. going to eat a lot differently. We may take one skewer, right? And a glass of wine, but we're not going to be eating like we're at the golden crown. Now, the food may be in plenty, but because yeah. the plate size is different, we're going to eat a lot differently. And that's the same thing that it works in profit first, because now we've created a smaller plate. We've created a bank account just for operating expenses, right? We've already taken our profit first. We've already taken our owner's pay. We've already reserved for taxes. And what's happening is we're creating an illusion of scarcity. We're going to use less because there is less available, right? Yeah. And and that's the reason why profit first works is it works of our natural human psychology.
0: I love that. I, i don't know if i've ever heard anybody equate finances to buffets versus like networking meals but that was an amazing analogy suzanne i loved it um because you're right at golden crowd there's thousands of plates and they're massive in size you go to a networking event it could be a, a tiny little three-inch plate to a five-inch plate. You get a couple of hors d'oeuvres, you put it on, you get your cocktail napkin. It's a much different experience, uh, and you walk out feeling maybe a little bit better about yourself. So that's what you do financially for folks.
1: Exactly, exactly. We create an illusion of scarcity. Now, there, there's more that gets involved. Obviously, we're going to do some budgeting our manufacturing folks out there there are some things that we have to do to create that illusion of scarcity even in inventory purchases because i think that cost a good sold, that inventory can easily get out of hand so we're going to create another bank account um called materials and stuff for that for those type of projects but um definitely you know that it's it's all about creating that illusion of scarcity creating those boundaries
0: i love it so, uh, Suzanne, this is the manufacturing culture podcast. So, I would be remiss if I we didn't talk about culture at least a little bit. Um, you've worked with a wide range of organizations, from small one and two person shops all the way up, or organizations, not just shops, uh, to those seven and eight uh, figure uh, companies. How do the cultural differences look between? the companies that take your advice, uh, the profit first mentality advice uh, versus ones that don't. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes sense. I mean, first of all, um, you know, because of the boundaries, I think that the owners are less stressed, right? I think management is less stressed because they're able to budget. They're able to, um, you know, a lot of them have set up different accounts like payroll accounts. So they're not worried about how am I going to, Make payroll. Um, they've got the inventory control because they've got an inventory account now where they can make purchases. So that that fear of how am I making payroll, that stress just isn't there, which is a really good thing. The second thing is when you're operating a company that is that profitable, there's a level of efficiency that's really required, okay. and and so it's important that you have a team, right, that's happy to be there, that's gifted and. The work that they do. Right. And so they're excited to come to work. And so building culture becomes critical because, Jim, you and I know when you put somebody that's in their zone of genius that is doing the work that they're supposed to be doing. Right. That person is like winning every single day. And when they're winning, they're happy. Right. And that A player works like nine C players. Right. They're 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 cranking it. And and so it's costing the company less. They have people that are happy on their job. They are, they've got you know these daily standups where everybody's sharing their wins, right, um, to get more efficient. And versus like a group of C players that are like, oh man, like, <laughs> am I gonna get caught for not pulling my weight today, right? Absolutely. Um It's just a whole different culture, right, with that. And so you know again to optimize that efficiency, company culture, and putting the right people in the right places and hiring those eight players is extremely important.
0: Absolutely and and so how do those sound financial strategies impact uh, the ability to hire the right person for the right role to build that that culture that works best for each company.
1: So where I see people mess up uh, especially in the world of manufacturing is Gross margins, right? Um, you know, they're looking at, okay, I make this widget and I got to compete with every other widget maker that's out there. Yeah. And the first thing that they do is, you know, is they squeeze their margins, right? They, they lower their price is what happens. But what happens when you lower your price? You have less margins, right? Gross margins is revenue less your cost of goods sold equals gross margin. When you lower your gross margins, right? You have less money to spend on rent. Mm -hmm. You have less money to hire the best and brightest people, right? Right. Um, You have less money to buy the right equipment that you need to manufacture. Optimally, you can't upgrade when new technology comes out. And so one of the first things that becomes really important is, you know, I can't compete upon price, right? Because one of the first things we learn is that when you compete upon price, the winner is free. Right, yeah. that's the race towards the bottom, the race towards free, and yeah. and nobody wins in the race towards free, no. right? Absolutely. Maybe a nonprofit, yeah. but I'm not sure if they're even winning, right?
0: <laughs> no, um, I, I work for one, and they, they they do not win even then. <laughs>
1: and so it's really important to really position yourself to create those margins. Like, why, you know, you know, I, I'm a lady, right, Jim? So, um, I, no shame about purses, right? Um. Is there a difference really between a Louis Vuitton purse versus a great Target purse? I mean, really, is there a difference, right, at the end of the day or a purse that you get from the outlet? Um, Well, it's a
0: scarcity. I mean, it goes back to the scarcity mindset, right? That's why uh, a Louis Vuitton or a Tory Burch or something like that is more than uh, a purse from Target or Walmart or Big Lots. It's just there are less of them made. So it's a scarcity issue, right? Supply and demand.
1: Exactly. And, and, but at the same time, that's a controlled scarcity, right? It's it. a controlled positioning, right? And so it's about what needs to happen to increase those margins. How do I need to position myself, right? Um, in order to command those margins, you know, and, and what am I going to be known for becomes yeah. really important. I
0: get that. I get that. Um, awesome. So, Let's talk about your book, the one that you co-wrote with, and I apologize, Michael McCallowitz. Is that his you got,
1: name? You actually got it.
0: I got it. Third time's a charm. Woo-hoo. Um, so in that book, you focus uh, prim- primarily on minority entrepreneurs, right? Um, so what unique challenges do... Minority entrepreneurs face when it comes to culture, when it comes to financial, uh, et cetera, et cetera.
1: So, um, profit first for minority businesses and enterprises. Um, just like you mentioned, it was a book that was co-written with uh, Mike McCalla, to author Profit First, and um, you know, it was a book that was geared specifically towards minority business enterprises. Um, and and the reason why is a lot of times as as people of color, right. Um, we're the first ones in our family to go to college. If we've gone to college, um, first ones to run a successful business, right. Or running a business. And, and, you know, I think I was lucky because I had my dad, you know, but there are a lot of people that are not lucky to have had something passed down in terms of a skill set. And, and really this book was about creating a know-how, creating a book of everything that I wish I knew or the things that I knew that really helped me in my business and, and creating that gift, that gift of what it happens if, if, if I had to leave something in a time castle that could help the next person out, help that world out, what, what, what would I want to leave? Right. And, and this was my book. That was the reason why I left my book. Now there's a, a philanthropy part to it too. And that, you know, for every book that's sold, um, a dollar goes to, Hope Worldwide, where we send girls to school in Zimbabwe, um, <laughs> and every year we filled up a classroom. I'm so proud of that. Um, all these girls that are going to school um, in Zimbabwe because of of the book proceeds that have happened.
0: So but everybody, it, buy the book. I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> buy the book.
1: Um, even if you're not a minority, buy the book. Right, By it's a book. great book. Um, but it's 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 about really creating that the skill set that we don't know, and it was important because, you know. When I first got my first job outside of college, you know, I went to work for Anderson in Chicago and I remember like taking my trip, my interview trip up there and I was talking to some of my future colleagues and I was like, you know, so like I don't know much about Chicago. Where should I live? Hmm. And and, you know, my colleagues were amazing. They were looking out for my best interests and they were like, okay, you know, you can live in Lakeview, Lincoln Park, maybe Gold Coast. But whatever you do, don't live in the south side of Chicago, is what they told me. Mm. And and so what I did was I moved to Lincoln Park, right, Lakeview, right off of diversity and Sheridan for anybody familiar with the Chicago yeah. area, into a high rise where you look out and you can't see where the sky begins and the lake ends. It was just blue when you look out. Beautiful. And everybody drove a Jetta and everybody looked like Barbie and Ken. And, um, it was interesting because one day I said, you know, I just want to see Chicago. I want to see Chicago for what it is. And I am bored and I am going to get on this bus and I'm going to take it where the good Lord takes me. And I'm going to get out and catch the next bus wherever. And I'm going to go wherever that takes me. Right.
0: That's amazing.
1: I did. I did. And so I took this bus and it took me along Michigan Avenue and it stopped right at around, um, you know, Michigan and Roselle is where the bus stopped. And I got on this other bus and it continued down Michigan Avenue. But what I noticed was, you know, you're going down Michigan Avenue, you're seeing all these great stores, you know, like you're talking about your Tory Burke and all these fancy stores. And, and suddenly the world started changing, right? You start not seeing the fancy stores. You start seeing the shopping carts that are being pushed down the road. Um, You're seeing the buildings that have the glass broken out. It looks like it didn't happen yesterday. It happened Maybe a few years ago, but there was no money to create or rebuild that infrastructure. And you started to see the food deserts. You didn't see the grocery stores. You saw the corner stores, but not the grocery stores. And one of the things that puzzled me was like, how can you have a city where literally this one street is the border where you've got, you know, massive commerce happening and then literally nothing happening in this other side, but poverty. And it occurred to me, how do you get rid of that? Is by creating healthy, profitable businesses, right? Because when I have a healthy business in my neighborhood, that means I'm going to hire my neighbor, yes. right? Yes. Um My neighbor's children are going to see what mom and dad does. They're going to see what I do, and they're going to go, okay, I can do this too. I can be a doctor, lawyer, accountant, um, or manufacturer, right? And and so really the key to creating equality and finances was about creating equal opportunities in every single neighborhood. Love it. And, and that's why profit for some minority business enterprises is so important because I think as people of color, you know, first of all, there's a, the guilt of being the first, right? And we want to bring everybody else up too, which is a great thing to have. But yeah. sometimes that means creating a company filled with family and friends. Yeah. Which are very difficult to manage, Absolutely. versus putting people in the right places, right? Yeah. Um, it could be buying into this access to capital theory, like I need to get loans, right? And yeah. and people are like, oh, I can't get loans because you know of the opportunities, but the reality is, you know, you get loans based upon profitability, right? Um, people invest in companies that are profitable. I sold a profitable accounting firm, right? <laughs> that allowed me to retire at forty-six years old. And it's about, and it's about creating businesses that are profitable, right? It's not a loan that's going to save you or the man that's going to save you. You are going to save you by creating a, you're going to be the hero of your story by creating a profitable business. And that that book tells you how to do it. And so that. that is the reason why I wrote that book. Wow. That's.
0: Hey Manufacturing Culture podcast listeners, power up your day with Shop Floor Coffee. Use promo code SKILLUPAZ with no spaces for 10% off your order. It's not just a brew, it's a movement. Each purchase supports Skill Up Arizona, helping to fund apprenticeships and scholarships in the state of Arizona. This is coffee that empowers future tech and trade stars ready to join the cause click the link in the show notes to order and sip with purpose together let's brew a brighter future that's an um, awesome story right um and you're right i mean i'm i'm in phoenix we have that street that divides the Nice stores from the food deserts, right? Where you go from an Aldi's or a Safeway or whatever, every mile, mile and a half, to where you've got corner stores and fast food, right? Um, the guest that came out the week before your, or that will be released the the week before your episode. Uh, we talked about something similar. Um, he's up in Milwaukee and, uh, grew up in a a rough neighborhood in Milwaukee. Right. Um, but his vision on how to build his community from within has just, it was goosebump inducing. So, uh, maybe I'll connect you and Courtney, uh, after we're done recording here. Um, Suzanne, uh, along those lines there are some challenges that minority entrepreneurs face in getting funding what are some strategies that that minority entrepreneurs or or even young people or mid-career people who want to go out and start their own shop what are some things that they could do to to make that first step, to to go from making, you know, thirty dollars an hour, twenty five dollars an hour, uh, with an idea of man, I really want to buy a three axis machine. I want to convert the electricity in my garage, or I know of an abandoned building down the road. I'd love to rebuild my neighborhood by putting a, a machine shop in there. What what steps can they take to to make that a reality?
1: Right. So it's it's interesting because, you know, I would always I, I love that concept of bootstrapping. Right. And, you know, because reality is it's hard to get a loan um, if you're if you're. If you don't have the track record. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I started my firm with fifty dollars. That, that was it. You know, I remember when I went through certifications, I had to prove that I wrote a check to myself at the bank to, to put that into my company account and, you know, for one of the first things I bought was like a printer, you know, as soon <laughs> as I did my first tax return, um, I, I, I bought a printer and then you just continue to build from there. And there is nothing wrong with, with starting small. You know, I talk about one of my clients, you know, in my book, um, Jade and Ed Harris, they are, um, one of the premier leading wig manufacturers, you know, with a okay. wig and, and, um, you know, do very well, you know, and, you know, Obviously, first millionaires and their families also. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they started literally, she started creating wigs and she learned it on YouTube. She literally was creating a wig for herself. And that's um, amazing. Because she had personally experienced some hair loss. And she said, "Okay, let me let me go ahead and 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 learn how to make this wig for myself on on YouTube. And she was working in a shoe store on Madison Avenue at the time wearing this wig she manufactured for herself and one of her clients was losing her hair because she was going to do chemotherapy. And she said, can I have that wig? Can I, can, can I buy that wig off of your head right now? Right. Literally
0: off of and, your head.
1: And that's how the virgin hair fantasy was started. Literally was the woman bought the wig off of her head. Um, and because she just wanted, she needed to feel beautiful that day. Yeah. And, and so it's important, first of all, to go, you know, what is the need? You know, a lot of times people start businesses because of a passion, but what is the need in the world? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. like who knew that this wig that she bought for her own self or created for her own self was a prayer being answered for somebody else. Right. And apparently a lot of people. And so you know, first of all, you know, what, where's the demand at? And start small, right? It doesn't have to be this elaborate thing, right? Um, Start small, it, it might be you're buying and reselling, right? Maybe yeah. you're buying overseas and reselling it. Um, And, and instead of doing it in house, right? And maybe you're getting orders up front, based upon a prototype. Um, I, I love deposits up front right that's really <laughs> important right and you want to put an order put in a deposit make it at least 50% make sure it covers cost of goods sold right yeah. um you know don't get into the business of giving line of credits to people right you yeah. we we ship upon payment you know um and 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 you want to get into so it's really creating boundaries right creating boundaries of you know i i i cannot afford to finance you um and so you have to pay deposit and then you pay the upfront deposit, and then build from there. You know, decide okay. Now that I'm running a lean machine, um, and I've got my profit percentages. You know, there, if I want to grow, I need to go ahead and create a budget that I can continue to reinvest, right? For that growth, for that to happen. And and how? And and you know, I call the seed money. What is my seed money? What am I willing to part with? Um, in order to grow this business, you know, I'm looking at my advertising spend. I'm looking for ROI and my advertising spend. I know in profit first, we like to see a 10X yeah. on pro, on, on advertising spend. And everybody's like, what? 10X, 10X. I'm like, yes, 10X because you still got to buy your materials, your raw materials. You still got to hire the guy that's going to put together the widget, right? Yeah. Um, and then like, you know, if you, you've got a facilities, you got to pay that rent. Right. Um, and so, you know, you have to build all that in there and, and account for all that. That's going to be really important with that. Um, and, and so that doesn't even start to cover the advertising, right? The advertising <laughs> needs to cover all that plus the revenue, plus the profit, plus the tag, plus the people to, to make the goods, right? Yep. And so advertising needs to present a 10x and you can't just let it bleed. You can't just put on Google ads. You got to, to make sure those Google ads are working, right? And yeah. evaluating them, the effectiveness of those Google ads. You gotta know your cost per lead, right? Your cost per client acquisition. And and those things change over time. Algorithms change, right? Facebook algorithms change. And you gotta be, you know, you gotta have the procedures in place to make sure that you're capturing those changes are happening.
0: Yeah, I love it. Uh, Suzanne, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, you're now a fractional CFO, correct? That's correct. So, as a fractional CFO, uh, how do you? How big of a role, I guess, does company culture play into your decision to work with an organization? And if it does play a role, how do you assess uh, the the company culture within prospective clients of yours?
1: You know, I'll I'll be honest with you. A lot of times when I go in, company culture is a problem, right? Um, you know. And that's the reason why profitability isn't there. They've allowed things to happen too long, right? Yeah. There hasn't been crucial conversations along the way when it comes to having performance reviews, or maybe they don't even have a performance review process that's tied to raises. Yeah. Um, you be that that happens in even multi-million dollar companies that happens. And so usually one of the big problems with profitability is culture, right? Um, someone just doesn't want to fire somebody. Um they wonder what somebody's actually doing on their job every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they've got to be doing something. We can't figure out what it is, but they're got to be doing something, so they keep that person on um, with that. Um, and usually, when it starts, is it's it's creating that process of how do we do evaluations? You know, where, what's broken? Do we do 90 day improvement plans where we're talking about those things? Are we hiring people that that light up when they get to come to work every day. Right. And, and, and how do we know this person lights up? How do we know that's their passion? Right. Yeah. Um. You know, do they have signs? Do they do this before? Did they go to school for it? You know, have they invested their own money to build this talent that yeah. they want to do? Right. Um. And so it's really, you know, honing in on culture, but culture is extremely important. Jim.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um. <clears throat> do you have any specific examples of when, A change in company culture led to a massive financial turnaround for an organization that you worked with?
1: Yeah, that's, that's every company. (laughs) Um, You know, if if you guys want to go to my website, suzayamorega.com, we actually have clients that talk about their success stories, where they've become the first millionaire in their family, they bought their own farm, Um, you know, just things that they've been able to do because of, you know, profit first. Um, but it definitely is culture. And, and then it's not only that you have to, it's not just a do it and fix it and leave it. It's something you have to continue to reevaluate. Right. Um, you know, part of it is setting up KPIs, you know, meaning, you know, there are many different KPIs that can be set up, um, when you're looking at productivity, um, because you have to hold people accountable. Right. And, and you have to, you know, make it a win. Right. I remember when our accounting firm, you know, we would play like, we had this little teeny weeny volleyball that was like, when it was like beaked balls, really light air. And we would literally play this little game of volleyball. We would, The goal was just to keep the ball in the air. How many taps can we just pass it? Yeah. And, um, you know, one, you get to really know your coworkers who's athletic, who's not, who played volleyball <laughs> in high school. And, and every day, just the goal was just to do a little bit better than what we did before. So if we got 20 taps today, our goal is to at least get 21. To and we're just going to keep this ball in the air and, and pass it to each other. Um, and, and it's about working together and creating a collaborative culture where we want to see everybody win. I love it. I absolutely love that. Um, did you play volleyball? I did not play volleyball.
0: <laughs> just had to ask. Um, so you also are host of a great podcast, profit talk, right? Um. What are some insights that you've gained from your podcast that could or do directly relate to our listeners here in the manufacturing industry?
1: So, with the uh, Profit Talk podcast, it is a profit-first podcast. So we talk profit first. Um, we we dive more into. It. We bring in guest speakers that have different. Um, um, Specialties like we brought in franchise attorneys that talk about other ways to, to grow your business. Um, we bring in people that are actually implementing profit first in their business. Um, and and you know, so always you know that that fact that you get to glean from other people's experiences are great. You get to meet great people too as a podcast host, which is always fun. It's a
0: blast um,
1: with that, yeah. Um, but it's definitely a, a, a great conversation of the practicalities of implementing profit bars.
0: I love it. Awesome. Um, second to last question, Suzanne, um, what are three things that manufacturers can implement from a financial standpoint that will improve their cult- company culture internally?
1: Hmm. So first thing I would say, and then I'm going to talk for just commonalities that I see that yeah. that happens. One is um, tying raises or any type of increase with performance in a very obvious way. Yeah. Meaning that if you got a 3% raise, this is exactly why. I know one of the things that we do is we have a scoring system of it. It's called a six point scoring system. Okay. Um, number six, if you are ranked a six in a particular area, like communication, for example, that means that you are about to be promoted. You are seller, Okay. seller. Um, if you're a one, we're probably doing a counseling out plan, right? We're, yeah. we're, we're, this is not the place for you. Three, you're, 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 you're average. Most people we want to see around a four to five is where sure. we want to see most people at. And And every category is rated. So quality of work, um, quantity of work, communication. We're giving specific examples where you did well. We're doing specific examples of where you can improve. That happened. Yep. And if you are scoring a six on average, then you're getting a 6% raise. Got it. If you're scoring a one, you're getting a 1%. If you're scoring a three on average, you're getting three. And so what we've done is we've literally linked performance directly with the raises that they're receiving for that year and so they know hey if i want a six percent these are the things i need to work on because these are the specific incidents that brought me down and and it it allows them to win it allows everybody to win right when you know the rules you can win and so it literally outlines the rules for how do i win next year right how do i win in the next 90 days that's so
0: like stupid simple um i I can't believe it, but it's genius. I love that idea.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. What's number two?
1: So number two, I would say from a culture perspective is creating a culture where, you know, we share our wins. We share our wins, right? And, you know you know, if something good happens in the owner situation, you know, this is what happened, you know, and I want to share that this is the impact that you made upon the world. Like, like I shared with you about the virgin hair, you know, this made this cancer patient feel beautiful, right? Absolutely. We, this is where we went from a profit first perspective, you know, you know, our client just went out and bought his farm, you know, and he's got donkeys running around now. When we first met him, like, like he was running at a loss and making yeah. 50,000. Right. Um, And, and, and that was his win, but that's our win because we, we as a team contributed to that win. Yeah. So, so sharing those stories where, you know, if a team member, um, exceeded deadline, you know, or they increased production or we hit a sales goal, you know, share that win, you know, share that win, go out to lunch, celebrate, make it a big deal, right? Because the more you celebrate something, the more you get of it, right? There's that, that law of abundance that's important with that.
0: Yep. Absolutely. I love that. What, and what's number three, if there is one, I'm not saying there has to be, but if there is one, what would number three be?
1: I would say creating a culture of efficiency, meaning that, and, and feedback. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, it is normal that we give feedback. This is, it is normal that we tell you how we can improve. It's not a thing that's directed towards you it's just something that we do we see something wrong we're going to give feedback right we celebrate feedback um we have a culture of continuous improvement meaning that how we are today even though it's great is it going to be how we are tomorrow we're going to be even better yeah and so creating that sports mentality of we are going to improve continuous improvement i think is really important
0: i love it all right very last question Suzanne. What haven't I asked you that you want to share with the audience today?
1: Sure. So thank you, Jim, for that opportunity. Um, You know, one of the things I would share is, you know, a lot of times companies ask me, so how much profit should, I? you know, what? how much owners pay should I have, right? And first of all, it's going to differ for every company. It's going to differ, right? Um, Because if you're a $10 million company versus a $1 million company, your numbers are going to look completely different. You're a hundred million dollar company, it's going to look completely different. Yep. And what I have is, if you go to profitmap.co, profitmap.co, I actually have a gift for you. And if you go there, you can download a chart that will tell you, based on your side, what your profitability percentages should be. So, um, you know, what your profits should be, what your owner's pay should be, what your tax, what your operating spend should be. Um, definitely check that out and that will get you started on your profit first journey. And, and it's okay that you're not there today, you know, start 1% and just build it from there.
0: I love it. I'm going to go there as soon as we're done. I know what, I know what rabbit hole I'm diving into for the rest of the day, Suzanne. Um, so thank you very much. And thank you, Suzanne, for being on today. This was a great conversation. Can't thank you enough. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Jim, for having me.
0: Absolutely. And folks, that's a wrap on another fantastic episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. We've just had an incredible conversation with Suzanne Mariga, diving deep into this intersection of financial strategy and company culture and extracting pearls of wisdom that can transform the way manufacturers operate. From understanding the Profit First system to exploring how financial acumen can drive a positive and effective workplace culture, this episode was a goldmine for anyone looking to elevate their manufacturing business to new heights. Before we sign off, a huge shout out to Speroni, the leader in tool management systems. Their commitment to precision and innovation in the manufacturing industry is simply unmatched. Speroni is not just a sponsor. They're a cornerstone in advancing manufacturing excellence. Their support is pivotal in enabling us to bring you these valuable insights and discussions to you, our amazing listeners. We're also incredibly excited to welcome our new shop, new partner, Shopfloor Coffee. It's not just another coffee brand. Shopfloor Coffee is a cause-driven venture, passionately supporting workforce development and manufacturing. A portion of the proceeds every time you buy is dedicated to apprenticeship and scholarship uh, programs and advanced manufacturing. Every cup you drink contributes to a brighter future for the industry. And here's something special for any of you listeners still uh, hanging on here at the end. Use the promo code SkillUpAZ to get 10% off your order at Shopfloor Coffee. None of that goes to us at the show. None of the proceeds go to us here at the show. It all goes to support uh, workforce development. This is your chance to not only savor exceptional coffee, but also to play a big part in skilling up the next generation of manufacturing professionals. It's a win-win, relishing uh, great coffee while fostering the future of manufacturing. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, don't hesitate to share it with your friends, colleagues, your grandma, your boss, or anyone else passionate about finances, manufacturing, or culture. Uh, Your shares help us reach more people and continue uh, to deliver the engaging and informative content that you love. Uh, Also, take a moment to rate and review their show. Your insights help improve and assist others in finding us because every time you rate and review, it rockets us up the charts and more people find us. So then we can keep spreading key insights and and inspiring stories in our our industry. Stay tuned for more episodes where we'll explore uh, essentials of culture and manufacturing, offering strategies, stories and insights that make a real difference Keep pushing innovation, keep inspiring, and continue to cultivate a culture that propels success in the manufacturing industry. Until next time, keep the gears turning, have a great day, and keep making things. was